One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We have to introduce friction into our life and we live in technological times that tell us that introducing friction, you know, it's a bad thing to do. What you need is efficiency. And actually, you know, it's efficiency that's got us into this mess, mess. really. Yes. <laughs> well, we've all been pushed around. Hello and welcome to It's Complicated the podcast to help you untangle your relationship with your phone. Left our hearts in the lost and found. I'm Tanya Goodin, and each week I'll be talking to my guests about how they manage the relationship with the tiny tyrant in their pocket. We'll be talking about how our phone habits affect our work, our lives and our loves, and about what our relationship with our phone might just tell us about our relationship with ourselves. If you want help and you want hope, you've come to the right place. This is It's Complicated. My guest this week definitely wins the prize for best name on the podcast so far. I'm talking to author and academic Professor Vibar Cragen-Reed. Vibar is reader in English and Environmental Humanities in the School of English at the University of Kent and has written widely on the subjects of literature, health, nature and the environment. His work has been featured in The Observer, The Sunday Times, The Guardian, The Telegraph, The Washington Post, The BBC, The Literary Review and on many other print and digital platforms. His current book, Primate Change, How the World We Made is Remaking Us, looks at how our environment has changed our bodies, from our eyes and our teeth down to our toes. So timely that we're sitting here talking today because a piece just came out yesterday, which is trending everywhere online from the Washington Post. I'm just going to read the headline. Horns are growing on young people's skulls. Phone use is to blame, research suggests. I feel like I've read everything now about what mobile phone use is doing to us. But you are obviously the expert with your book, Primate Change. So I really, I wanted to kind of bust some of the myths because I realised when I read your book that I had been convinced some of the things I thought about what the you know tech world might be doing to us were true. And talk about what we do know the digital world is doing to us. 
So one of the quotes from your book is, our bodies are in shock. Modern living is as bracing to the human body as jumping through a hole in the ice. But what I didn't realise until I'd read your book was that some of those shocks to the system aren't as recent as we thought. And back pain, which I have entirely laid at the door of, you know, mobile phones and sitting down, is actually dates from Victorian times or before that? Well, almost certainly before that. I think the ways in which our bodies function will mean that people have been struggling with back pain for probably two million years, ever since we got up onto two feet. However, um, I'm a, a literary historian by trade, or at least I was. And if you look for back pain in literature, it's not that easy to find. Mm. You know, there are certain complaints like, so I'm, a, I'm an asthmatic, I'm not a chronic asthmatic, but I nearly am. But if you look for asthma in literary history, you'll find it and you'll find it going all the way back to Homer. I mean, it's a bit tricky with with Homer, uh, you know, the Greek epic poet, because the word asthma actually means panting and you're not sure whether he's talking about the disease asthma or just is he just a bit out of breath from (laughs) from swinging his sword around. So lots of uh, pathologies do have a long history and I'm sure back pain has a very long history, but you just don't find it in, in literary history. It's just not there. And now it's the number one cause of disability. I was really shocked when I read that. I was just about to read that back to you. It's the single biggest cause of global disability. So is it made worse by our current habits, our sedentary habits, sitting down? Is that the cause or is it far more complicated than that? It's it's both simple and very complicated. So like like many of the things that are not going well for humans just at the moment, it really is It's a confluence of factors. Physiologically, most people have a, a you know deeply held belief that their pain is is physiological that it's about the function it's about them having a good posture you know oh i must sit up straight you know up to so as i don't get back pain so there are certainly physiological drivers for back pain um things like degenerated discs or arthritis in the in the stacking joints of the spine so you have a stacking joint on on the side of each vertebra so that when you bend backwards the stacking joints the apophysial joints lock together and by the age of about i think it's about about 40 we have arthritis in at least one of these joints 90 percent of people have arthritis in at least one of these joints is that the western world or everywhere i mean are there you know people that i'm thinking sub-saharan africa you know, areas where they're, they're not seeing these problems. There isn't funding to, to say that this is the case across right. the world. So okay. it looks like this is the this is a case across the Western world. Yeah. So these are all strong physiological drivers for causes of back pain, arthritis from bending backwards, disc pain from bending forwards, you know, having a, a, a ruptured disc. But there are also other factors that contribute to this weakness, um, this this problem rather. One is one is the fact that we are just much, much weaker. We are much weaker than people were in the 19th century than people were in the metropolitan revolution about you know about three four five thousand years ago and during the agricultural revolution about ten thousand years ago so between hunter gatherers and us there's no hard science for this but if you draw together work that's been done by people at the university of kent on hand strength or work that was published at the beginning of 2017 on humoral rigidity, so the rigidity of the upper arm bones of different people. That work, for example, said that the bone density in women's arms from northern Eurasia from about 5,000 years ago showed greater strength and rigidity than Olympic rowers. 
Wow. So these were these were just everyday women. And this is just because we're not doing physical labour anymore. Is that we don't really? do anything anymore. Yeah. I mean, so if we of... go to the gym and pump iron, that doesn't help. It does help. Okay. Right. So I say this in the book. I say I think I say it quite a few times. By far the worst thing always is to do nothing. So going to the gym for thirty minutes, three or four times a week is not going to save you from all of the problems that that are widely experienced in modern life, but it's definitely going to put you in better stead than someone that just stays at home and does nothing. So oh, the fact that we're just much weaker means that we have less shielding to any pathology. And usually what any pathology will do is it will find that the weakest point and it will expose itself there. Mm. And because our backs are... You know, when we sit down, the, the lower part of our back is loaded with all the weight from our upper body. It looks like that's a peculiar center or nexus for pain. And then, of course, there's stress. So there's physiological causes of back pain. There's physiological causes that are connected to how we live. But then there's also emotional causes as well. Stress causes inflammation in the body and Inflammation is just, is terrible. You know, inflammation, like I said, I'm an asthmatic. That's a chronic form of inflammation in the lungs that closes up the airways. Inflammation can give you heart attacks, can give you headaches, and it can definitely give you back pain. So inflammation plays a very, very big role in the experience of pain and pathology, and especially back pain. One of the things that really surprised me when I was reading your section about the back was that no one actually knows what good posture is or what perfect posture is and the reason why that was particularly significant for me is I went to one of those really traditional girls schools where we were awarded a posture badge if we had good posture and I never was awarded my posture badge I left the school in disgrace because I you know apparently didn't ever have good posture so I was actually quite pleased when I read that that it's that there's no kind of objective test or rule that we can say that is absolutely what perfect posture you know the posture that might help our backs yeah there's no you can't look at a diagram and say this is exactly how you should be what we can do is we can speak in general terms like the the spine is is supposed to be have a gentle s shape to it we're not supposed to keep our backs completely straight one of the things that we're both doing now is we're both sitting on chairs but neither of us are using the back of the chair we're both sitting we're both using our bodies to, to support us yeah and what that means is that, you know, epaxial and hypaxial muscles in our front and back are activated, holding ourselves upright. So that's good that that's we're good. doing that. Yeah. yeah. So as soon as we sit back, I'm sitting back now. As soon as we <laughs> sit back, what happens is those muscles just go, ah. Yeah. You know, just like... No work to do. No work to do. And so they can rest. And muscles that are used, like at the gym, become stronger. Muscles that aren't used, they atrophy and they become weaker. So one of the many ways in which we are opening ourselves up to something like back pain is through certain kinds of chair use when we just yeah. relax. Um, so back pain, we can't lay at the door solely of our digital habits. It's much more complicated than that. Mm, we pretty much can, really. Oh, you think we can? <laughs> okay. Yeah, because, um, you know, once you, once you put all of this stuff together, um, the reason that we sit in chairs 
because um, we're looking at screens. It's because we're looking at screens. Yeah. It's, you know, on before that, typewriters, I guess, and you know. But you know, yeah. at the beginning of the nineteenth century, in the eighteen forties, about zero point zero two percent of the population would be employed doing office work. And when they did do office work, you know, if you think about Kermit in the Muppet Christmas Carol, carrying around those big heavy ledgers, walking around a lot. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. so that they were still having to do some activity. I mean, they were much better off than most workers in the nineteenth century because they were indoors. But they were still having to do some work. And then once you cycle forwards a bit, I can't remember what the number is for the 1890s, but I think it's about 2 to 3% by the 1890s are in, are in sedentary office work. Now it's about 85% of us. Wow. And it's that a big lo- change in a relatively <laughs> small period, isn't it, in our it, evolution? It's, it's a very, very, very big change. I mean, I think if you want to, it's almost impossible to encompass how sudden these yeah. changes are. So if you think about a like a swimming pool, a 50 meter swimming pool, a big swimming pool, if humans begin at, you know, uh, when you dive in, you swim along, along, along. And if that's a timeline, then the agricultural revolution comes at the end and it's about the width of a pound coin. And the industrial so we're, revolution... we're in that little space that's a pound coin. Yes, yeah, so all the, the changes to our, yeah. our teeth and the changes to our diet, changes to our height all happen in that amount of time the industrial revolution is probably about a, a millimeter i mean I'm, it, this would be very easy to work out on a spreadsheet but mm. it's a tiny 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 space of time that we're talking about so in that time about 10 percent of the human population exists in that time that's that's ever existed so the population goes massively up mm. and then if you also think about the amount of sedentary work also goes up in that time as well so we're doing a lot more sedentary work and the sedentary work that we used to do involved some activity, but now because of computers, etc., yeah. it now means that we don't even do that anymore because filing, photocopying, uh, faxing, all of that takes place behind a computer screen. So, so yeah, you can lay at the door of a digital life. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So eyesight, eyesight's the next thing that I get asked about a lot. You're um, short-sighted, I think. I'm short-sighted. Yeah. We're both sitting here wearing glasses. <laughs> I'm, I, I've got presbyopia. I'm, I've got old man's long-sightedness. Um, and what I found really interesting when I read your book is that it's, and you're going to correct me if I've interpreted this wrong, but it's not necessarily reading or screens that's caused the problem. It's the fact that we're indoors more. Yeah, so this is where science comes up against a, a real problem because what they can't do, what they can't do is... is Take a control group. Exactly, yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But what the outcomes of the research seem to be suggesting is that it's it's uh, short-sightedness, myopia, is much more strongly connected, not to close work, but to experiencing good quality light mm. that you get outside. So we're in my kitchen at the moment and in here there's probably about... 300 lumens whereas outside there's probably about a thousand or you know mm. um, uh, 1500 lumens so that the human eye is very good at adapting to its environment but as it's developing so babies are all born long-sighted and that eye grows into a, a normal healthy eye but to do this it needs the right cues so that a child's eye needs to know when it's reached that optimum shape and it can't do that without good quality light that's fascinating. I mean, I, I get asked a lot about this screen and eyesight issue. And one of the other episodes of the podcast that I did in the first series is about was about spending time outside and how the current generation of children are spending about, you know, almost a tenth of the amount of time outside that their parents did. Uh, less time outside than, than prison inmates. Wow. So all the things I read in the press saying, look at all the children with glasses, it's because of screens... It actually probably isn't the screen. It's the fact that, well, I mean, the screen might be contributing to the fact that they're spending more time indoors, but... But screen use is almost, almost always takes place indoors. Yeah. So some of the other things that might be more strongly linked, we've talked a little bit about the very sedentary lifestyle. And you were saying, because I, I, again, I've talked about this before, we're, our obsession with our 10,000 steps, <laughs> everybody with their Fitbits and with their iPhone trackers... And I think you said, actually, I'm going to quote you here. When history looks back at the weird life we all lead in offices, it will see that these are an environment as toxic as those in the 19th century factories. Yeah. So we're just not spending enough time moving around. Is it just our working life? The fact that we're in offices and we're sitting at, de uh, at screens or is it, you know, just generally we're not moving enough? We Well, in general, we don't move enough. So... We spend a lot of our time working. We spend about, you know, 40 hours of our week working. Some people more, some people a little less, perhaps. So what used to be 0.02% of a workforce, you know, being sedentary at In work, yeah. now it's 85%. So it's now normal to do nothing all day. But then, like modes of entertainment, modes of entertainment are almost all always sedentary. Mm. I've just spent the last 
two evenings watching a fantastic Netflix series. But we were finishing it last night and I just thought, God, this required me to sit on the couch for eight hours over two days. Yeah. Um, so it's that modes of entertainment are now sedentary as well. And once you put these two things together, it then becomes no surprise that, you know, seven of the top 10 killers from the World Health Organization are associated with the great activity drop. Technology has a sort of places as kind of inheritance tax on us. So it's... It's hard for us to think back more than a couple of generations. And what happens is technology, when it's invented, has to solve a particular problem. It has to make something easier for us. You know, no one's going to... In order make, for it to be adopted. Yeah, yeah. no one's going to buy a washing machine that makes it harder to wash your clothes. And then what happens is technology incrementally changes. We inherit habits from the previous generation and we think the previous generation's habits were normal. And then we think, oh, well, that saved us this little, little bit of work. But once you take a slightly longer view, the changes become much more drastic. So to clean a rug in the 1930s or 1940s, you'd, you'd move the furniture back. You would roll up the rug. You'd sling the rug over your shoulder. You'd take it into your backyard. Oh, you'd put it over the line and beat it, it, wouldn't you? And then you'd, yeah. you'd beat it. Yeah. It's always fascinating. To, you know, the few occasions I've done it, you just think, oh my God, Such what is hard work. Stuff? I've done it once. <laughs> <laughs> and then you reverse the process. You, you roll it back up, take it back, put it back on the floor and put all the furniture back. So that's probably a calorie burn of about two to 300 calories. Now, the next technological step is for me to, to pick up my phone, uh, press about five buttons, and then, you know, Mr. Robovac will then go to work mm. around the room and do all the work for me. So we used to do the rug beating. Then we did the U-Bank. Do you remember that useless? Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> U-Bank vacuum cleaner, which still, you know, it still required. You still had to push it. And they were quite heavy, the old ones. The old I ones remember. Were, yeah. I remember trying to help my mother, Hoover. And, you know, they were a lot of effort. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, now I've got one of these little hand vac things. It's much, much lighter. Yeah. And it saves you the trouble of having to plug it in, etc. So we go through several changes and what started off as two to 300 calories becomes 0.2 or 0.3 calories. So that's a movement drop of a thousand percent. And it seems to us completely normal. Nobody buys a Robovac thinking, right, this has saved me 300 calories. So what am I going to do to put Instead, that movement back? Yeah, yeah. And so this is like an inheritance tax that's happening in all parts of our lives to the point where it's very, very difficult to find movement. Who, who washes... I mean, I do wash some of my clothes by hand, but who washes their clothes by hand? I remember my grandmother telling me that she had a day set aside. I think it was a Wednesday that was her wash day. And it took all day because everything was done by hand. Who's got a day? Tell yeah. You. Who's got a day? But I mean, she, you know, she was a very fit woman until, yeah. you know, and had a very long, you know, she lived a very long life. So she was obviously keeping healthy doing all of that. Yeah. yeah. So for longevity, for example, it looks like, you know, doing a high-intensity interval session at the gym, while better than nothing. It looks like much of the longevity benefits that, that we can garner, that we can make for ourselves, that aren't just inherited through our genes, are through elongating low levels of activity throughout our day. So we can't exercise our way out of a sedentary lifestyle by spending all day sitting down, going to the gym for an hour and then going home and spending all day sitting down. Is that essentially what you're saying? It's definitely better to do that. Yeah, than nothing. Yeah, yeah. But if, if it's longevity that you're interested in, you'd be much better off spending four, five, six hours of your day doing, you know, very light or moderate activity. 
than you would doing a seven minute workout that's and incredibly is, intense. Is that as simple as just walking everywhere? I mean, you know, not walking, getting off the tube three stops before you need to or the bus or, you know, trying to build that in. Yeah, the thing is... And walking around the office? Should we be moving around? In fact, there was something in your book, I think, where you said to be really healthy, we needed to get up and walk around and stretch every two to three minutes. And, you know, that just wouldn't work, would it? it? No, it, it wouldn't work. <laughs> We have to introduce friction into our life and we live in technological times that tell us that introducing friction, you know, it's a bad thing to do. What you need is efficiency. And actually, you know, it's efficiency that's got us into this mess, mess. really. Yes. <laughs> um, so you do, you have to introduce friction and the problem with introducing friction is it is frictional. It takes a lot of time. So for me, when I got to the end of the book, I got rid of my car. Wow. I live in London, so it's not such a terrible thing to do. And that was do. a conscious decision as a result of all the research you did for the book. Yeah, um, ah. it's not as it's not as fantastic as it sounds. I do occasionally borrow a friend's car, but <laughs> yeah, it was a decision from doing the book. So I also got loads of houseplants, as you can see. I can, yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> houseplants, got rid of the car, and I, I also just, I just walk loads more. So I try, like lots of people, I have activity trackers. Yeah. And I try to be active between one and a half to two hours a day. And that's hard. That's hard. And then, but yeah, if we kind of imagined our parents and grandparents, they would, well, grandparents would definitely have been active for more Easily, than that, wouldn't yeah. they? So yeah. one, one of the, I made some programs for the BBC. We made a series called Changing World, Changing Bodies. And for one of the programs, we went to the Rift Valley in Kenya um, to a village called Pemjo, which is it's not accessible by car. It's not like an English village where everything's bunched together, you know, like all huddled together in the cold. It's really, really spread out. But we spoke to people there actually about back pain. And, and do they have back pain? Uh, no, no. Really, no. They didn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we, did, we did meet one person. Right. <laughs> um, but she carried sort of heavy loads, heavy loads on her on her back and on her head for about five hours a day. So that you thought, mm, okay. And the body's very much, we all have Goldilocks bodies where we, it doesn't like too little and it doesn't like too much. It likes, likes loading to be just right. But we met a guy there called Mike and I chatted to him about his activity levels. And he said that he does about five to six hours work, light manual work a day. And then after that, he would do a leisure walk where he'd be out for three to four hours. Now, he wouldn't be sort of strolling in the mountains. What he'd be doing would be, because the village is spread out, he'd be probably be walking around the village and stopping and chatting to people. Sorry, what you can't see is my jaw dropping open <laughs> at the thought of a leisure walk being three to four, three hours. four hours. Yeah. So he it meant he was active for about ten hours a day. That's phenomenal. Isn't and there it? was a bit, yeah. And there's there's a moment in the in the episode where I just uh, my jaw dropped as well, and I was saying, "Gosh, I think I'm really good, and I do ninety minutes." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So hands. Yeah. I want to talk about hands. Because again, this was another really fascinating bit of the book. When you were posing the question, will our hands no longer be necessary in the future? Which actually is a really good question when you think about how many voice-operated assistants we're developing and driverless cars. And and we think we're using our hands a lot, don't we, with all our texting and tapping and swiping. We but are. actually, compared to what our hands are designed for, that's not enough. No, I mean, I spoke to um, an expert called Professor Tracy Kivel on the evolution of hands. 
And we, we talked about RSIs. In fact, I don't think I quoted it in the book, but she just said that the kind of repetitive work that we worry about, you know, about developing RSIs, she said that actually humans have always done that. You know, mm. napping stone tools yeah, is a yeah. is a um, a stressful thing for for those joints to have to. And there's nineteenth century seamstresses that you talked about in the book. You know, that's very repetitive, sitting and making sewing. matchboxes. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So lots of industrial work would have been would have been incredibly. So repetitive. we probably had RSI before. We didn't call it RSI, and it wasn't connected with a screen. It was it's just any kind of repetitive hand gesture. Yeah, yeah. but I think what's one of the main differences now would be a little bit like back pain. So if there's a Venn diagram of back pain where you have physiological causes, psychological causes or emotional causes, in that Venn diagram is also, you know, fitness and strength of the, of the, of the given structures. Our hands must be super weak. I mean, they mm. don't do anything. Mm. <laughs> they don't do anything. They don't, unless they go to the gym, they don't lift any heavy weights. We don't do manual work. You know, um, swipe, oh, you just heard my thumb click. <laughs> you, don't, you don't do, you know, swiping Instagram isn't a great workout for your thumb. No. So our hands, because of the kind of work we do, are probably just much, much weaker so that they're more likely to develop problems because they're just more physiologically available to pathologies arising because of their weakness. And I know I, I've come across people talking about the issue with handwriting and children that actually because, and do you know what, I found this myself, that if you use a screen a lot, when you suddenly have to write, it actually hurts. I was writing a whole load of it thank hurts you and letters. You're rubbish at it. Yeah, as well. I was writing thank you letters over Christmas and I thought these are illegible. <laughs> And, you know, after only writing about three, my hand was hurting. But teachers are saying they're seeing that increasingly more in schools, that children just can't write because there is quite, you know, a little bit of strength that's involved in holding a pen, isn't there, in the right way? There, there's strength and there's also precision. And it's, you know, it's, as we all remember learning to write, it's, it's you know, it's a practised uh, precision skill. I've got an app for my iPad. So instead of typing notes on my iPad now, I make handwritten notes. And the reason I've done it is it's a bit less convenient. It's still quite convenient, but it's handwriting recognition. And if I don't write neatly, it won't recognise it. <laughs> so it's just trying to get me back into the habit of writing legibly. So I can see what we could do. I mean, not entirely, but I could see a little bit about what we could do for backs and eyesight. Mm. But with hands, what you know, what could we do that would actually help strengthen? I mean, is it as simple as just getting those... Squeeze balls. balls. Yes. <laughs> we're both doing the hand movements as we're saying this. You know, this you can get those things that are supposed to strengthen your hands that you kind of squeeze. So yeah. I had, um, I use a, I'm right-handed, but I use my mouse with my left hand, uh, and it's one of those things that you don't really acknowledge yourself, and then when people see you doing it, they go, "But you're right-handed." And the reason it happened was because I had RSI when I was doing my PhD in about the year 2000. I was working on a PhD all day and then gaming in the evening and my and I was stressed as well my right wrist which is just like no that's enough so, so instead of giving up all the gaming yes, you thought, I just learned to I'll use it my left, my left hand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure that's sending the right message <laughs> no it's not but I think so are you ambidextrous no I'm not no. I'm not but it, just mouse so I can use a mouse with it really accurately well so accurately that that's just what I do but what I did was I, I deliberately tried to develop strength in my both my hands. And I did that. I wouldn't recommend this for, for other people, but I did it by squeezing tennis balls. Because mm, they're hard to squeeze. And then yeah. doing press-ups on my fingers. Oh, 
which I would not recommend. No. There's a yoga pose actually that involves doing that, and it's very. I'm, I've tried that a few times. It's very painful. Yeah, so I'm 50 now. I don't think I'd risk it. <laughs> Interesting that you just outed yourself a little bit about your screen habits there, because I just want to talk to you now about your screen habits. Yeah. And there's three questions I've been asking everyone on the podcast. Oh dear. If you had one message to give to everyone about their screen and phone habits, you know, maybe related to what we've been talking about, the physical impacts, or maybe not, what what would you like people to think about? Oh, gosh. I'm not sure if it's a message for other people or if it's a message that I would want to just, you know, have written down for myself, really, which is that we think our phones are the modes of connection with other people, but they're not really. The, the way to connect with other people is to is to is to go outside. Mm. and meet them in the and real meet world. them and or even you know go for a walk and be be in a natural environments and not be listening to music and and the news which is really really stressful yeah i mean i don't i don't think i have very good screen health but it is something that i'm aware of so you've made a lot of conscious decisions as a result of writing the last book yeah. about your kind of health yeah so have you got any tips that you want to share that you've I mean have you changed your phone or screen habits as a result of that did was some of that to do with tech use actually I thought my screen habits were okay and I'd actually I would say that publishing a book is probably part of a a recipe for making your screen habits worse yes (laughs) I know I've been there (laughs) so I'd say that my screen habits have got slightly worse since the book came out and it is something, so I've deleted Twitter from my phone. I did that about four oh. or five days ago because I just thought I um, I used to read a book, you know, in a day. If I wanted to sit down and read a book, I'd read a book in a day. And I started rereading Jane Austen's Persuasion about five days ago. It's 180 pages and I think I'm on page 40, mm. which is tragic, I think. That's actually one of the reasons I started out on this whole exercise is I realised I stopped reading. Yeah, so. I have stopped reading. I've definitely stopped reading. I can I conduct ram raids on books now rather than... <laughs> um, and what have you learned about yourself in all the years that you've been using screens? So you were talking about being a, a gamer? Yeah. A few years ago and learning how to use both hands. <laughs> Do you think your use of screens has changed over time? <clears throat> So I was never, I would never sort of identify as a gamer. I, I definitely do play games, but I think whenever I hear the word gamer, I think it's someone who could spend all day doing yeah, it. Yeah, sitting in I, a darkened room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't really call myself a gamer because I usually play, I'll play a game for about 30, maybe 60 minutes. And then I just think, right, it's time to do something else now. As a result of writing the book, I'm constantly aware of, of my activity levels on a on a daily basis. Yeah. And I'd say one of the other things that I now do is I often go out for an evening walk, which is a bit weird when you don't even have a dog. But Get a dog. <laughs> That's the answer, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I don't think my screen habits have changed all that much, but my, the, the activity that, that, that happens in between has, has definitely changed. changed a lot. Yeah. yeah. I want to thank you. Thank you so very much. much for chatting <clears throat> to me. Oh, my watch vibe... has just binged me to stand up. <laughs> Go on then, stand up while I do this. 
Um, to follow Vibar on Twitter, just remember he's not on it all the time, is um, you're just Vibar on uh, Twitter. V-Y-B-A-R-R. Yeah. yeah, and on Instagram, you're Vibar C-R. That's correct. Um, and I would definitely recommend to anyone listening to go out and get Primate Change, How the World We Made is Remaking Us, at Amazon and at all good bookshops. I Thank thought you it was a fascinating much. read. Really recommend it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's Complicated. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps other people find us and it means you get a helpful little notification when a new episode becomes available. For more about getting a healthy balance with tech, you can follow me, Tanya Goodin, or Time to Log Off on Instagram and Twitter. And both my books, Off and Stop Staring at Screens, are available on Amazon and at all good bookshops. Finally, for more information about this and other episodes in the podcast series, visit itstimetologoff.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.